What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to Fright Night. She just goes... A little mad sometimes. Wolfman's got Mars. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. We have such sights to show you. They're all gonna laugh at you. You're listening to the Jersey Cool. Hey, everybody. What's up? That was my demon voice. Did is I nail Zuzu? it? Is, is that, that you, Pazuzu? Is it you, Pazuzu? Are you there, Pazuzu? It's me, Jackie. Jackie, I have to confess, I might have been playing with the Ouija board again. Oh, no. Yeah, That's I'm a sorry. lie. Anybody that never. knows you knows that is a bold-faced lie because you will not go within 30 feet of a fucking Ouija board. What do I look like? Some sort of idiot who wants to get possessed by the devil? No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you, kindly. Happy... October, y'all. Spooky dookie season, y'all. It is spooky dookie season. And we have decided that our oh Halloween special this year. We're going to do a deep dive of the movie and the book and all that good stuff. Oh, yes. Yes. Every, every single Sunday. You get a treat. You get us oh every single Sunday yep. this month. This is the Exorcist month. Not only is this year the 50th anniversary of the release of the movie, but we are going to start with the book we're yep. gonna do the movie mm-hmm. we're gonna do part two <laughs> we're gonna do <laughs> part three Eey. and then we are gonna end the month with the brand new oh, yes. exorcist believer oh my god i'm so excited i don't know what i'm more excited for taylor swift or exorcist the believer that's a lie i'm more excited for taylor but but <laughs> but i'm very excited that taylor managed to push uh the release date for believer because it'll make it so much easier for us yeah, I didn't know this. Apparently, I guess because there was such a demand for her concerts and things like that. So apparently, she did a recorded concert that they're going to be Jackie's showing. Jackie's like, movie apparently, theaters. she's on tour. I don't know. <laughs> I don't I've know. spent my entire the past entire year of my life trying to get tickets to that show. <laughs> um, I'm going to make you a Swifty. I don't know how, but I don't know. That's but yeah. yeah. Thanks to I'll, Taylor. I'll say that I'm a Swifty. Well, that's fine. I, mean, I don't care. I'll wear a shirt that says "fuck yeah, I'm a Swifty." I would go wear... fuck yourself. I'm a Swifty. That all looks. I would wear that. Sh- we yeah. should make that yeah, shirt. Fuck yeah, I'm a Swifty. Swifty. I know um, one song. I'm a fucking Swifty. I'll get the. Okay. I know she does br- friendship bracelets. Yeah, you can I'll play your. You play your cards right. I'll make you a bracelet. There you go. Um, it, it, I've only got about be, fifty. I want. I want that to be like my Taylor Swift catchphrase. Like, go fuck yourself. I'm a Swifty. Fuck you. That's what your bracelet's gonna say. Fuck yeah. you. I'm a Swifty. Fuck you. I'm a Swifty. <laughs> and then, oh my God, could you imagine if you went to a Swifty and said you only know one Swift fan? I, I tell you what, you better not tell your nieces. You better not talk like that in front of your nieces. You non-believer. You, you. know what? Uh, the oldest one. Can kiss mm-hmm. my ass because she talks some smack on Ghostbusters. <laughs> she sure so did. I will talk some shit on Tay Tay. And you know okay. what? The whole world deserves to know this. My daughter said it. I quote, we were watching Zombieland and Bill Murray came on. And she was like, who the fuck is that guy? And I was like, what the fuck, dude? Ghostbusters. Because they've been watching Ghostbusters her whole life. She was, oh, right, right. Ghostbusters. I remember. It's that guy. And then the guy with the glasses. And then the minority one. And then the boring one. She called Dan Aykroyd the boring one. Race dance. How dare I'm she? sorry. How dare she called me the boring she. one. The adorable one, you meant, Ken's? You mean? I think that's what, what you meant. Yeah. I the hope you're listening to this in 30 like, years. The one wonder in his eyes? Right. The one who's like the sweet baby angel of the crew? The one who loves to love? God damn it. You know? I'm sorry. If he's if he's the boring one, would he have gotten the ghost blowjob? 
No. Ghosts don't hand out <laughs> I don't think she knew what that movies. was when we watched the movie when she was little, to be fair. <laughs> Might have gone over her head. It went a little over her head. It probably still does. But uh, Eddie Hoodle, bringing it back to The Exorcist here. So let's dive into the book because this is, I have to say, I'm going to just go right into the personal here. This is my first read of the book. But for you, this is like an, uh, I'm bored. Let me read The Exorcist real quick. Yeah, I, uh, so uh, this is, and many, many people I've talked to know this. This is my number one desert island all time. If I can only read one book for the rest of my life, every day of my life, it's The Exorcist. This is my favorite book ever on the planet. Uh, Y'all can't see this, but this is my beat up copy that I've had for probably 30 years. This is a... It's being held together, I would say, by faith and tape, but she doesn't have faith. (laughs) It is very, very creaky. It's brown. It has that- Probably smells. Oh, that musty book smell. Yeah, this came Mm -hmm. out in either uh, late 73 or 74. Actually, I looked at the copyright and it just said Bantam Books release 1972 to 1974, but I'm assuming it was 73 or 74 because it talks about on the front, like seeing the movie. So- I'm assuming yeah, this is yeah. this is either but right that's still really cool. right after, but yeah. And I've had, like I said, I've had this copy for about 30 years. Um, and I would say for the past 15 ish years, it's been an annual read. Um, I've talked about this, and I know I'm going to mention it next week when we cover the movie. Uh, The Exorcist is, um, it, it is the movie to me that like The Office is to a lot of people. Like I can just put The Exorcist on. And it's my comfort movie. It's Which my background Which blows my movie. mind because it's Same a thing movie. with the audiobook. Like I can yeah. just be doing a monotonous task and I go on YouTube and I find somebody upload it and I can literally just pop to any spot in the book and I know exactly what's going on and where we're at. And uh, yeah, like it is, it is background noise. It is comfort movie. It is just, it is, I love this book. I really love the movie, but I, uh, this book is just, it means the world to me. I love this book so much. Which is fascinating to me on two fronts. Number one, the fact that you call this comfort food, because this was this this whole thing, full disclosure, is work for me. I am I am shook to my core by the the film and the book. The book got me good. I was I you kept getting text messages. I was I was really surprised at how much it affected me, considering how many times I've seen the movie. I kind of just expected to breeze through the book, but it was and I thought that there were a lot of beautiful passages. I found myself highlighting and underlining lines way more than I ever expected to. But the other thing that blows my mind about how much you lean into this book is that you are an atheist. You are someone who does not struggle with faith in any way, shape, or form. So it blows my mind that it makes sense that it's palatable for you, because for me, it does kind of challenge my very minimal faith in 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 god and in i do have i mean to be fair i am a non-practicing catholic and and someone who does have more way more faith than i think most people would still in our position but you know i i can't imagine this being an easy breezy day for you this was work for me yeah i mean there's there's definitely parts that even on my umpteenth read give me goosebumps Like I still get, I read this book annually, if not, you know, snippets here and there, but like an actual cover to cover read is an annual sojourn for me. Um, And even after all this time, I will, there are parts of this book that still give me goosebumps. I still cry at the end of this book every (laughs) time I read it. Um, do you cry for Karis? Is that what brings you? Okay. I I, do. He's like the character I probably feel the least emotionally attached to, which is probably a hot take. I know. I'm sorry. I just, Demi, just, why, Demi? Demi. Why do I care if you die, Demi? Demi. No, I do. (laughs) Like, it's, it's actually the part, you know, it's the interaction. It's, it's, it's the bromance of, uh father Karis and father dyer like i love their bromance i interpret this is reading the book maybe be like so they secretly love each other right oh yeah yeah. there is some (laughs) homoerotic undertones to their relationship Um, in both the movie and in the book it's the part at the end yeah the part i always cry when it talks about uh father dyer reading his last rites and damien he keeps squeezing his hand like once that got yes, me like, I was like yeah uh, that it, got it, me. I cry when I watch the movie reading the book it makes me cry um we will touch on this more next episode when we talk about the movie but a lot of my affection for Karis I love the character I really do 
but a lot of my affection loves the priest is it's jason miller it's the actor that played him i am in the middle of and i want obviously i'll have it done for the recording but i'm in the middle of watching a documentary about him um and apparently he's the actor about the actor apparently he's like scranton boy done good because even after he gets insanely famous from the exorcist he moves back home to scranton you know like he moves back to his old house and he does stuff for the community and like it's like a whole big thing and well, like Scranton I said, I'm in is the-, the electric city city yeah. office. Well, it's so. funny because they were talking about this, and I don't know when this documentary was made, whether the office was there or not, or, or you know, the American office was there. But one of the people in the beginning of the of the documentary was like, "What do you think of when you think of Scranton? You think of Jason Miller." I was like, "That's not what I think," but okay, like, but no, apparently he is like local boy done good, and like went back and like really was like you know he went back to just being a he wanted to be just a regular person and he went back home and and but whatever like again well it's about time db went home (laughs) you know but no we'll touch on that the next episode but i think i think my love for karis i love the character but i do think a lot of my love for him is influenced by the actor that played him his portrayal of him but even i don't know i just and we'll touch on this later because i have a question kind of about the characters in the book um but yeah it's so you don't you didn't really gravitate toward 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 Damien toward Demi, no, toward Damien for, for me the Chris McNeil for obvious reasons is the character who really gets me and yeah. whose journey I take emotionally and not only does this hit differently because of being a mom of a girl very similar to Reagan in age but mm-hmm. it hits different because looking at the mom struggle like this was really the first time I watched these films from a critical lens and the first time I've, I've do- dove into this in a while, admittedly, because again, I struggle a little bit. You know me, how afraid I am of Ouija boards, how afraid I am of d- possession and spirits and ghosts and shit like that. I am such a believer in all this garbage. So for me, this is hard. Like, so yeah, so for me, while, while Father Karras and Father Marin are lovely, Kinderman got me in the book a lot more than he ever did in the movie. In the movie, I don't even think about Kinderman, mm-hmm. but the book, make, I'm really going to dive into him later, but because of the book and it made me appreciate that character so much more. But yeah, it's for me, it's Chris McNeil's journey and what she goes through that kills me. And um, I'll dive into that in a minute. Let's jump into some fast facts about this. And you're probably just the, the guru on this. So please jump in. But um, Blatty, William P- Peter Blatty grows up a super poor kid. He miraculously gets into Georgetown. And when I say super poor, it, like his mother was like a prostitute. I mean, he was living a rough life and he becomes really influenced by the Jesuits. He sets out according to interviews, according to the data, and especially with Legion, which we could circle back to, because you actually tried read, read Legion and did not enjoy it, but he set out to prove the existence of God. That's what he kind of touted as his goal. And um, he very much was influenced by a real life case out of Maryland. And I'm going to say thank you to Inside the Exorcist for two reasons. Thank you to Inside the Exorcist, the podcast. A, if you haven't listened to it, you guys definitely listen to it. It's wondery. It's beautiful. It's so well produced. And it's also so such a wealth of knowledge on the exorcist. But also it scared the bejeebies out of me because I would listen to it on my way to work at 5.30 in the morning when it's pitch dark out still. <laughs> and I told Jackie this story, but it's worth repeating. The day I listened to the, the case of the real life kid, Robbie, uh, who this case is based on out of Maryland, I walked into, <laughs> I walked into my building. It's pitch black in there. I'm the only one. And I see like a shadow dart across in the dark. And when I tell you that I was, if I had a crucifix, I would have been like, the devil is a liar. Like I was like ready to like, I almost crapped my pants. It was just one of our custodians who's a lovely human being, but scared the piss out of me that day, yeah. quite literally. Um, but anyway, based on a Maryland 1949 case of a little kid who was allegedly possessed Um, A very sordid story, but worth looking into if you're interested. Very much uh, becomes a cultural like zeitgeist, in my opinion. Um, Both this and the movie. 17 weeks at number one on the New York Times bestsellers list. 55, I'm sorry, 57 weeks on the uh, bestsellers list. Not at number one, but on there. So this movie raked it in. People could not get enough. And this is in 1971 where we're in a very dreary place with religion in America, in my opinion. We are in like the post-Manson, post, uh, you know, 1969 turning point of America where people are just 
so lost and things are so dirty that it makes so much sense to me that this book hits as well as it does. And I'll get into that a little more when I talk about what I think is ultimately the message of this book. But Jackie, what other facts do we need to know? No, you really, you know, you you you've tackled the the basic facts. I think the the only thing that I can add is that not unlike the movie, there are people that have said like this is this is the scariest book ever written. You know, like this is the book that scares them. Um, but again, like I think it's kind of based on your faith. And this is something we'll touch on with the movie. But like there are people that like you can't even say the exorcist around them out of fear of repercussions. And that's one of the things that they talk about in the book that like a lot of times possession is more suggestion because of the person's faith. If a person believes that I can be possessed by the devil because of X, Y, Z, or because of this situation, like the mere mention of this book, people can run for the hills because they're like, if I read it, if I read this book, you're aligning yourself with the devil. You're signing your name in the devil's book. And that's part of what makes Reagan's possession so jarring to me is that she's a little kid. She she's being raised by a mom who doesn't isn't really religious. So the fact that a little sweet baby angel could get possessed was so terrifying to me, not only as a kid, but also as a believer, because as someone who's just like me, like I am a Chris, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I get, I don't know. I don't really raise, I full, I am not raising my kids under Catholic. I mean, I had them baptized because listen, what do I look like? But after that, I decided to raise them with, you know, religion being a choice that they make as adults. If they do or don't, I've decided to take an academic look at all religions with them and they have the rights. Now I have encouraged them to come to church with me, encouraged them to explore it. Didn't really stick for them. They're definitely more in the you and my husband camp of being kind of like, yeah, this seems a little hokey, but you know, and that's okay with me because I, my faith isn't so strong. I'm not like devout by any stretch of the imagination, but it is terrifying to me that the average schmo can also get possessed. There was something that I found comforting in the idea that only really religious people could get possessed. Yeah, well, see, and I think that's another reason where, like, I can separate the idea of, I mean, obviously there's religious thematic smorgasbord in this, in this whole book. But, like, that's one of the things where I'm like, this is just a good old-fashioned possession. You know, wrong place, wrong time. Well, she found a Ouija, a Ouija board. board. She found a Ouija board, started fucking around with it, and she found out. You know, it's just one of those things where it didn't matter if you're religious. It didn't matter if you're an atheist or whatever. You are, and especially with her being a child, you are a vessel, you know? You really don't think there could be demons, that there could be spirit and balls of energy that we don't understand. Like, let's just talk about it in a quantum physics realm. You don't believe that there could be alternate realities, alternate, like you don't believe, but subscribe to any possibility of any sort of energy and any sort of existence that we can't grasp yet. I don't know if I could go that deep. My disbelief in that comes from, like, I don't believe that people have souls. Like, I believe that when you die, you die. You know, like there's no, you know, any energy that's released from your body is your body breaking down. You know, if you've been buried, is the energy is your body breaking down, you know, returning to earth kind of thing. So I don't, like I said, I don't, I don't believe in souls or ghosts or demons or heaven or hell or, I mean, parallel universe, maybe, but that's to me a completely separate at the risk of sounding smug that I'm really envious of that because I think I have a lot of almost ridiculous like I as a logical scientifically driven human being recognize that these things are almost absurd but I worry about these kind of things way more than a human being probably should I am stupidly like where you would probably play with a Ouija board by yourself without even thinking twice I would never never play with one alone I learned my lesson um speaking of science though I feel like one of the things that the book really made me realize, and I think I even mentioned this to you, was, man, these the book and the movie really put, like, science in a negative light in a lot of ways. Right? Yeah, they they make, at least, at least like, the, the science of medicine. Like, they, they show these, like... And psychiatry. Yeah, like, they, and they show these, like, horrific tests being done to her because they keep, I mean... 
I don't know. It's kind of one of those things. It's tough because I work in the medical field. So like sometimes I can't help but be like, well, yeah, sometimes you have to rule stuff out, you know, and get all these things done. But it, I guess it's tough to see when it's a little kid, when it's a kid being subjected to all this. And there was the whole idea of she's getting bounced around from this test to this test. And the doctors are sending her to the psychiatrist. Oh, and the psychiatrist grueling. Is sending yeah. her back to the doctor. At and they fail within, her. At least within the book, she does go away to an institute. Um, in the in yeah. the movie, like Chris was like, "No, we're not putting her away." Yeah. In the book, but in 1971, do. so you know what that's looking like. Yeah, like it's exactly. terrifying. And I think in a lot of ways, showing Damien's mom, and mm. in like, oh god, I don't know, man. Like it, dude. It's so emotionally draining to me. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it it really does kind of shine the light on religion, where it's like medicine is scary medicine and science and psychiatry yeah, can't degrading help you, them you know like it really is you know which is annoying right and and for, especially i'd imagine for someone like you who really thinks it's a bunch of hooey it must be annoying and again as like rational human beings i'm like oh i'm so annoyed at how degrading it is i it's science. not it's not though only because but i mean realize that i am looking at this with like whatever color glasses we want to call them of like, just, I am blinded by my love for this book. I recognize that that's one thing that they're doing, but yeah, at the same and it's time, painful. It's I'm painful like, to watch the family go through. Yeah. At the same time, I'm like, it's fine. It's the plot of this book that I love the most. <laughs> oh so yeah. See, I it hit me hard. It. I was, cause I can't imagine what, and like, I just kept thinking to myself, like, what would you do if all of a sudden your kid went off the rails in a really yeah. re real way and nobody could help you. Like that's like literally a parent's biggest fear. So preying on that is, is fucked up and it's, and, you know. And and something that I can't speak to, but I know that you can, um, going back to the character of Chris McNeil, the idea that she is telling these doctors what happened and they are dismissive, you know, like the whole- Because she's a woman, with, she's right. The whole incident with the bed is shaking. Oh, the bed's not shaking. She's having seizures. Oh, the mansplaining in this fucking yeah, block. Like it's, 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 it's shining a light on, I mean, now granted it's 1971. So things- Yeah, are, mansplaining and, and yeah. medical doctors not believing women happens all the fucking exactly. time. And this book shines a light on it, but I'm not going to give Blatty too much of a pat on the back there because to be honest with you, I am a bit annoyed by the trope of the single working mom with her riddles of guilt about like, well, she has a career. <laughs> well, she wasn't there. Look what happened. She got into the Ouija board. <laughs> like there to me, like it's and like, oh, look, Sharon's raising your kid. Like to me, there was he wrote it in a way that felt judgy like towards really? Chris at times. Yeah. And maybe I was just being uber feminist in my reading of it, but like somehow feeling like the doctors blamed her, the psychiatrist blamed her. There was a lot of passive aggressive, like, well, if your kid has trauma because the husband's not around and your kid has, and, and in, I forget which one it is. Cause now the book and the movie are blurring together in my head a lot, but you know, like she tries to shield her kid from her husband's shittiness. She tries her best to be enough and she's a she's a working full-time working single mother in 1971 and i can't tell if i should be applauding blatty for writing it or annoyed that of course her daughter gets possessed you know what i mean like i don't know i think there's something judgmental about the the fact that it wasn't like a perfect nuclear family you know like and i don't know if maybe he meant it to be like yeah see fuck that it's it's i'm shirking the nuclear family here and good for anybody who shirks a nuclear family because it's such an annoying trope to begin with. But I, I think that having it be a single mom that goes through all this, because I'm going to talk to you later about how I think that the real trauma being experienced isn't Reagan herself, but everybody else around her, right? And they talk a lot to that in the book, that the real victims here and the real people that the demons are going after are everybody else who has to fucking live through this shit. Um, because Reagan doesn't even remember, allegedly, at the end, right? So, but we learn more about that in two, don't we? <laughs> but <laughs> I love how much you hate number two. But um, I just think that, I don't know, I feel like Blatty in 1971 need not write a single mother. I don't think he did it with the sensitivity that I would, uh, it might've been done with in a modern lens or, but who knows? I don't know. I just, See, I feel I, like she gets condemned a little bit and I don't I, like I don't, that's not how I feel because I feel like the single mother 
the father situation, like, I feel like a lot of that was a necessary plot device because of the, uh, because of the idea that part of the, part of the reason that the possession was brought on was Reagan feeling guilt. Like there was some sort of guilt and, you know, speaking as a child of- Speaking as a, from a child of divorce, you know, it's always that situation where I remember when my parents got divorced, I was in grade school. And like the very next day I was at the guidance office where we sat down and we read a book about how it's not my fault kind of thing. Um, yeah. Like, so I think that, I think that the, the family situation, the idea that Chris is, um, she's a she's a famous actress. She's a famous working actress, and she has plucked Reagan out of their home in California. They're now completely across the country, and you know she that puts a negative light on Chris, doesn't it? Like, doesn't that implicate her somehow? Wouldn't it have been more negative she, if she left her back in California? Like, she's. I think that she is. I. I she's don't a good see, mom. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I don't I don't think it paints her negatively. And again, speaking as not a parent, but I don't think it puts her in any sort of negative light. Like my read of it is she's that she's I like I said, I don't I'm 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 not quite sure how I want to form this. Not I don't fair. I don't think it's I don't get a negative read from it. That's fair. And I'm not sure that I do per se either. I just feel like the implication, and this is me maybe shitting on religion ideology a little bit too, the implication that the trauma and the guilt that Regan is feeling is somehow Chris's fault. The the whole like, well, she's a famous movie actress. Well, she's, you know, other people are raising her kid. I mean, to be fair, she does have those two housekeepers and I'm still not entirely sure that the male one is safe to be around children. (laughs) Why? (laughs) He has a shady did she do a background check i'm just saying they're adorable and delightful but and they do great things for the family but girlfriend maybe run the background check because there's some a few skeletons in that closet that i'm not sure i feel entirely comfortable about he is trying to take care of his i know and in that way it was a very sweet the way that story was built was so sweet, but it was, you have to admit when the police officer was like, yeah, it turns out he was like fired and, and they, he might've been stealing. And like, I was like, Oh damn. Like the 2023 mom and me was like, Oh shit. They're, you can't just have people around your kids. Like it's just a different world. And, and I do love them both so much. But they, but I mean, and they had been with they the stand family. By it wasn't her. like I they know. were like brand new to the family. They had I know. been with and, the family for a very long time. And where most of us would have been like, I, this is my two week notice. Um, your kid's possessed by a demon. I got to go. Could you write me a good recommendation though before I leave? Like they they are ride or die. All three of them, Sharon and the the two old people, are ride or die adorable. Why can't I think of their names? I want to make um, up stuff like Irvin and and no, Toy. I know I'm blanking too. And Hilda uh... and Hilda, Broomhilda, Broomhilda, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm just gonna make it up. Old people names. I I think let's talk about God for a minute. One of the things that I love about and hate about The Exorcist is how much it does kind of force you to challenge the concepts of good and evil in a more, you know, higher above me sense. And this is only for people who are willing to explore this concept. Um, But whether it's on a micro level of like humanity or a macro level of some sort of uh, religious ideologies, I am nothing if not fascinated with the struggle between good and evil in in our existence, right? And so if his job in this in or his goal was to prove that God existed, he had to prove that evil existed, right? Like that was mm-hmm. right. And my my question I guess to you is as someone who doesn't believe in this concept that there could be demons or could be gods, do you does does is there any question of your faith in humanity at all in this film and in this book like do you find yourself still struggling with any sort of because like what i think scares me the most about the exorcist is the challenge to faith and the fact that there are things bigger than us that we might not be able to face without faith but how do you view that as someone who who does not believe in any of that shit or you just like had that's funny yeah, I don't is it like watching a swamp monster. 
Yeah, like I, I don't I don't know I don't know if I know how to answer that question. Um like what I mean, is faith? Like do you think you have faith as an atheist? No. Do you in any like in any concepts of good versus evil bigger than I mean us? there is good versus evil. There is there I don't it's not But it's I, in concrete it's, human It's in terms. human beings. Yeah. Like it's in it's in hmm. higher brain functioning mammals. Like that's you know, I believe that there's good and evil. Um but yeah, like there's no uh, it's not like I have faith in not having faith. You know what I mean? So like what, it's not that's interesting because that's the I feel like respectfully, I think you do have like atheists by definitions have faith in not having faith. I mean, you Michael can, says you got to have faith, Jack. You, that's true. Well, you know, <laughs> and I, I, I mean, am you, nothing. You, if not a follower of his words. <laughs> you are more than welcome to define it for whatever way that you need to define it. But like, all I can tell you is that I, I do not believe in a higher being. I do not believe in like an all powerful. How do you know? Deity. Just like I could never know that it does exist. What fascinates me about atheists is feeling like you know it doesn't exist to me it's it's one of those it's mine like it's interesting it's 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 the firing synapses in your brain like how do you know that you're in love with your husband oh i don't by definition i just i have faith in that see it's to me it's all chemicals in the brain you really rap so that's like you're like well my my i'm chemically attracted to my significant other by so that's love by your definition yeah, the, there's oh, this so feeling amazing. that I, I love that. Yeah. I love that so much. But it's not bigger than you. There's nothing that you think is beyond your ability. I mean, to trust formulate. me, I'm not very smart. So there's a lot of stuff. No, you are me, so. But... No, you are so smart. <laughs> but Don't no, you dare. but yeah, like as far as like philosophical <laughs> beyond me, I I do not believe in that. If that's oh my god, my I worry about faith, it all day, every day. <laughs> You know, like it just, I, I do not have that. And trust me, I love it. sometimes I sit back and I think, well, maybe I really do like secretly I, at the end of the day, but you yeah. know how I know I don't because I get jealous of people that do. See, I get jealous of you. That's so yeah. ironic. And I think like, that's I, just what makes us rational. I good truly, like I, I am jealous of people that like, for example, when my brother passed away, my mother, a lot of my aunts and uncles, they relied on their faith to yeah. help them through their grief it and helps. i was it's a so selfish jealous tool. of that yeah. because i'm like i don't have that and that's how i knew i don't have like a little secret yeah. nugget like tucked yeah, away no, somewhere because i'm like i legitimately feel jealous of people that can ease difficult situations with their with faith. That faith i see and i feel the same way i'm legitimately jealous of people who are able to resoundingly not believe because I think I think so much of it is so self-serving and you're right because it is it's so much of my religion is me being selfish and wanting to believe in something bigger and yeah. better than and me, I don't think there's know? anything wrong with it like that's one thing about me being an athe atheist is that like no, I mean you're not I, shitty about it ever. no yeah. I'm not like you never you know look what? Down the fact me, that I know? don't believe is my own personal belief and the fact that you do is yours and anybody that says yeah. different about that like can go can fuck themselves like yeah. that's I mean, I, if if there was one thing, well, that's I how I feel that, about you too. Yeah, if there was one thing I can tell you that when I was, a, you know, agnostic at best, my whole, you know, time, and I mean, I was probably a teenager at that point, and even through that whole thing, it was like faith is so personal that the mm -hmm. idea that there's this like mass marketed faith, so true. these mass marketed religions, blows my mind. Because Me too. I religion agree is one you. of the most personal things that a person can have. I say and that all the time, that it is an intimate know, relationship like, with myself. That's why I don't right? get it. That's yeah, why I no, can't get I agree. behind the concept of organized religion and a church and things like yeah. that. Because like growing up Catholic, you know, we were taught that, you know, the priests are the conduits to God. We talk nah. to the priest and they will talk to God. And I was like, fuck you, I'll talk to him myself. Exactly. I don't need a goddamn middleman to talk to God. I don't need to go to your brick and mortar building because that's the only place that I can talk to God. And there's a special person I have to talk to. I'm like, if this is your God, if those are the rules that he's laying down, 
I want no parts of him. Not to mention the fact that the Bible has been rewritten to like suit the needs of others. 100%. So I call I call bullshit on so much of that stuff. So yeah, I love like, that. It's just- I love that you come on the show and you're just you just crud all over it. And I'm here for it. I'm with you though. I think that I'm someone who takes my spirituality and I say spirituality because I I also don't subscribe to big organized religion so intimately. And I'm so, it's so personal to me. I can't even share it with other people. Like it's just my intimate relationship with my own brain more than anything. And like my own relationship to making sense of the world around me. I used to say when I was a teenager that like I'm Christian, but I'm a Jackieist. I don't. I I'm that. like, I, I celebrate the religion of Jackieism. That is the most like, Jackie own, thing to say. It's my it. own personal thing. Although I realize I'm a hypocrite because I just said that, like, I'm an atheist and I'm not going to shit on anybody if they have, you know, and then you just belief, shit all and over then I did just shit. all kinds. So my of, apologies. That's okay. I don't, that's okay. Those, those types of organized to, I try not to do, do that to damage. particular people. I, you know, it's due to the idea. Agreed. It's like the royal we. Like, I'm trying not Correct. to, you know. And I stand by your decision to do that because I think organized religion does more harm than good. But any hoodle, um, I want to talk about an article that blew my mind and was my driving force in all of my thoughts tonight. And that is an article that uh, is available. If you have a JSTOR account, if you have any academic access, please read this article. It's called The Exorcist Deep Horror. It's a 1993 article by Robert Geary. And he talks about faith in this book and says that this book is all about faith. And I'm going to quote him here saying faith in omnicompetence of science, faith in the demonic supernatural, faith in God, and perhaps most importantly, faith in in and our love for humanity. And to me, that like felt like a gut punch of why this book felt so emotional and so hard to read, because I think the real horror of this book, and I'm going to give uh, Robert Geary all the credit here for coming up with this, because he put it in words and I couldn't figure out how to do that, is that maybe the true test of faith, maybe the true spirituality of all of us is being able to see the good in our world in spite of all the evidence to the contrary. And that's my hot take because what I struggle with more than anything in this world and where I find solace and spirituality is in my constant struggle to be the best version of myself I can be, to try to be quote unquote, a good person. Now, Robert Geary defines deep horror as the lure of nihilistic sense of meaningless, which meaninglessness, which arises from human suffering and death and ultimately breaks out, breaks our spirits. And he says that the reason why the exorcist was so powerful to people like our parents, to people in the 1970s, to people like me as a big chicken ship reading it now is that it's deep horror. It's forcing you to question the existence of evil and whether or not good can win. And I think that's why this is such a powerful punch for me versus why it's 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 palatable for you because you are so secure and you're like, yeah, good wins. That's duh. You know what I mean? Like, and whereas for me in this book, we barely squeak out alive. And that Pazuzu's goal is to torment all of us and make us question our faith in humanity. Watching Chris lose her shit, watching Kara struggle with his faith, watching Kinderman struggle with justice is so depressing to me, is so heart-wrenching because our systems fail us time and time again. But why I stand by The Exorcist as ultimately an effective piece of horror is because unlike all of the nihilistic views of this film, good wins in the end. And that's an important thing to remember about The Exorcist. Why I stand by why this film matters so much still is because at the end, the demon is thrown out a window with Karis and... Kinderman doesn't arrest anybody, even though he knows Brinkin definitely kind of did it. And Chris gets her sweet baby angel daughter back and science can suck it because maybe they don't know everything. And everything kind of feels like it's it's going to be okay at the end. And and I need that. And I don't know. I don't know. So I wanted to throw that out there. Do you I, agree? Do you think so? I, what do you think? For the most part, I agree. I wouldn't word it like that. I would never say that at the end of the day, at the end of The Exorcist, that good wins. Um, Good wins as far as a cad win. (laughs) I would say that at the end of The Exorcist, Reagan is saved. Like, that's kind of where, you know, I don't necessarily would want to use I need a world where good wins. Good wins. You know, like, to me, I read this and, you know, it's definitely a W. Like, we're taking it. Yeah, but we'll take me, it where we can get it. Yeah. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't use that phrase. I would just say that the the end result, we got the goal, the end result was save Reagan. And that's what we did. We saved Reagan. Um we, the, the rest of it is kind of a very gray 
area. Oh, but we won because Pazuzu doesn't get to ruin everybody, right? Faith in humanity no. is restored in the book. Sure. You don't think so? Like, Not I love the scene in the burger place where the, the, the owner of the burger place gives the guy the free burgers when he's like, get out of here, you little bum. But he gives him free burgers. Or like, there's so many little glimpses of humanity in this no, book. No, there is. They're, they're absolutely, like I what, said, I don't, right? don't want to like, take away. I agree with your sentiment. I just, I word it differently. Okay. I can live That's, with that. Yeah. 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 I can like I said, that. I just, I, I word it differently. I don't know that I feel comfortable saying that good wins. Well, good never wins, right? I mean, that's part of, that's the rub, isn't it? And and that's what I think deep horror, what Gary's talking about is that like we spend our lives nihilistically trying to talk ourselves into the idea that good will win, but maybe you're right. And you're so much easier about this stuff. Like I have existential crisis all day, every day, whereas you're so much smarter and like tend to be so much more rational. But like, I'm always constantly like, we have to beat the, the quote unquote, the evils. Like, you know, I get caught up with that shit. And it's, it's a problem for me. I think it's a mental health thing. I think it's, it, 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 it talks to my existential crises. It talks to my nihilistic tendencies, but I think evil is there to degrade humanity. Evil is there yes. to make us, make us hate each other, make us feel doubtful, make us even whatever you define faith and spirituality as for yourself personally, it makes you challenge that it makes you want to give up on the world and so if that's evil then good is not giving up and i think nothing more beautifully represents that than a young child and that's why i think this book really does celebrate good for me yeah and i i don't know maybe i just need that to sleep at night no and i know you do and that's and that's <laughs> you know me I, do. I need you to do. sleep you need you need that you need that happy ending i won't sleep and jackie you know no, me and that's that again that's more of a testament to like how screwed up that i am that i'm like oh no, eh, the world's you're just a more secure human <laughs> i'm gonna go catch I a am. quick eight hours and i want to wake up in the morning have a protein shake and feel fine <laughs> no i don't think that's true i think you're just so much more rational about it all than i am i think it is i i really do i think it is maddening to constantly have stupid philosophical like droning ons are like good versus evil i think it's so stupid and in your head you're so smart to be like mm, you're wording it in a way that causes you distress and that's you're smarter than that <laughs> can i uh can i throw a, a, a book club question or two at you please do because i know my answer for this but i know i'm thrown at you so oh no i'm um, scared go ahead is there i a have scene, not seen these questions is there a scene in the book that disturbed you oh like, fuck. The, like this yes. what, what, what can you point out do you know that of one that like disturbed you the most? A thousand percent. I don't know anybody who wouldn't give this answer. And I swear to God, if you don't give this answer, I'm going to Hulk smash my computer. When she shoves her mother's face into her own, I'm going to say crotch, because I don't know what else to say. That is area. the crotchal region. Because the the perversity, and I don't use the word perverse lightly, because yeah. I find very little in life to be perverse the perversity of the evil in that moment. Not only the masturbation, you know, the masturbation with the crucifix, I'm like, yeah, okay, that's shock for shock value. It's the crucifix, it's jarring. But to take your own mother and just, oh, and then Chris having to live through that, man, dude, that, I lose a wink or two over that. How about you? What's your answer? And it better be that scene. It's not. It's not. Baby, it's Gwai, baby, Gwai. I wish it was Gwai, baby, Gwai. You're so such a terrorist, gal. To the next to the movie. To to our story. Why? I cannot wait to dive into our story about Gwai, Demi, Gwai. And I can't wait to tell you why Karis is not the main character of the story. No, my favorite, and and I love where it is in the book because it's at the end of a chapter. No, no. And it's not in the original theatrical release of the movie. It did end up in the director's cut. But it's the scene when Reagan like spider walks oh, fuck down yes. the stairs. And what I love about it, it's in, and I, I'm like, I'm going to like. Oh, I love it. Here. Read it. Um, So um, yeah. Oh, I'll do a reading. Here's my reading. reading. Yeah. Put your sexy voice on. Here we go. Sharon, Chris Numley, still staring at Reagan. Sharon stopped. So did Reagan. Sharon turned and saw nothing and then screamed as she felt Reagan's tongue snaking out at her angle. Her, her ankle. Chris whitened. Call the doctor. Get him out of bed. Get him here now. Wherever Sharon moved, Reagan would follow. 
Oh, Aww. goosebumps. I yeah, just got fucking You're right. Goosebumps. I did too. Yeah. You're right. That, that, and, and oh. of course, now having seen that version of the movie, oh, like knowing crawl. the spider walk, I mean, again, y'all can't see this because this is a podcast, but like, I have like the McFarlane. I would toy. be scared to even own that. I That's have how the scary that is. Toy of, like Reagan spider walk. Oh, she's showing it to the camera now. I'm gonna. Have I know you guys can't see it, but Marissa can see. It. I can scare Ooh, Marissa. No, please don't. Susan I can't. That's you. <laughs> Susan does not love me. Um. No, yeah, and when it flashes to and uh, again, we got to save this. But God damn it, when when he, they describe Pazuzu's face over over Reagan's and then I think about the movie mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so scurry <laughs> so like, here's Jackie here's, this was scary I don't want to talk about it I know okay so here's here's my other here's my other question now I'm not gonna be able to sleep go ahead this is less scary this is okay, less scary okay. and I think I know your answer but I I, I okay. want to hear your reasoning did you know I was gonna say the crotch the crotch scene the, the crotchal scene <laughs> shoving the crotchal no. scene no what did um, I, uh, interesting okay oh, that who is the up. hero who no. is our hero of the book Jesus. No. <laughs> Did I win? Was that, Jesus lives here. Had, was that the right Catholic answer? I feel like my that Catholic was. guilt That was the right me. Catholic answer. Yes. Oh, wow. The hero of the book. Who I think you're going to say carrots. Honestly, I don't know. I, I think in my heart, I want to say Karis, but like... I don't know if that's the easy out because he sacrificed himself. He did like the hero sacrifice. Yeah, that's a good You know? Or, yeah. I mean, is is Reagan? Zuzu. Because because Reagan was strong enough, you know, as a 12-year-old She girl, didn't do anything. Reagan, she lived. She was strong enough to survive as long as She's she did. She's a girl. You know? That's true. Is, is Chris the hero? I think Chris you know? is, tends to be my Is hero. Marin? Is Lancaster Marin the hero? Which, by the way, that's an amazing. You know who's the, the real hero? Carl. Carl's the hero. Carl <laughs> is because Car- you know what he Carl lied is- to his wife about his daughter being. He alive, got away with it, and he gave her money so she could keep. Uh, you know, so she could keep doing drugs. Heroin. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll give it to the we'll give it to Carl. Circle gets the square. Go. No, my hero is is Chris. To me, this is her journey. To me, she's the one who suffers the most, and to me. She does not stop until her kid gets what what she needs because, um, I mean, Karis turns her down at first, right? And she's like, "Bitch, no, you need to see." And well, like, I mean, he's got know. his hands tied though. Like oh, that's he. I mean, think church. about it. I mean, he. That's one of those things where it's like the tr- if the church doesn't sanction it, it can't happen. And he ends up going against the church to get this done yeah, because he true. believes there's even if there's even a nugget, if there's even a nugget of a possibility. He wants to save this little girl. The real hero is Blatty for writing the line, your mother sucks cocks in hell. That's to me one of the most ultimate insults you could possibly say to a human being whose mother has passed. So really that the real hero here is that real hero, the real hero. No. Yeah. It's interesting. I think you can really, you can make an argument for a lot of these characters. I think, you know, that's, that's a great question, Jackie. Kinderman, Kinderman annoyed me at times. I think I told you this. He got a little extra. He, he is very, I don't want to say he's very different in the book from the movie. He has a bigger he is, part. Though. He has a bigger part in the book. The book, and way bigger. I, he's, to me, he's like annoying, but endearing in yes. the book. And Agreed. you know what? Maybe he's the hero because he knows the truth, but he also recognizes a situation and kind of lets it lie. Right, you're really gonna try and put that girl in jail. Come on, dude. Simbadana. Like there were so many times where I was like, all right, calm your tits, Kinderman. Like, <laughs> first of all, Roman was a hot mess. He probably fell. <laughs> Roman's a great character, though, too. Um, I really loved this book. It brought so many of the characters to so much more vibrant life for me. I was so creeped out in so many t- so many times. And I kept seeing the image of the mo- in the movie when it flashes to that scary face. That poor woman, yeah. um, just over and over again. So, I, Jackie, I don't know how you how you do this as a like casual read, but it is a good read, and I'd highly recommend it for anybody who hasn't. Yeah, uh, would you say is what what is your star rating out of five? Do you give this a five out of five? Nah. Do you give it like a four out of five. I give it a four, solid four. A four? This is a five for you, right? This is a oh solid- my god, it's legitimately yeah. my favorite book of all time. Yeah. Like if there, it was a great. This read. is a six out of five. This is a million out of five for me. Any book that will make me highlight uh scenes and any like there were so many endings to chapters like the one you read that left me with goosebumps and that's a that's a treat in a horror novel so a solid four and a half stars i'm gonna give it that half for you because it scared me more than uh, i thought it would have the capacity to yeah 
Yeah, the best like I said, it, Even after all the amount of times I've read this book, it's still, Defended. I get goosebumps, I cry, I get wigged out. Yeah. I do, I laugh. I laugh a little, I giggle I a little. Gwai Davey, you know? yeah, mostly yeah. Gwai Davey makes Gwai me giggle, Davey. which it shouldn't. I but can't wait to talk I take all the that. power away from that scene by me because of us, and I love it. Yeah, I know. Um, all right, so guys, stick with us. We're going to now go right into the movie. We're going to suffer through Exorcist Part 2, and I do mean suffer, Exorcist 3, Exorcist 4, The Crowning. We're going to go right through the ball. Seriously, the Exorcist <laughs> TV show, um, I believe there's two seasons. I watched the first season. Um, then you were over it? To tell you why I got sucked into the first season would like reveal stuff. So I don't want to do that. Yeah. So, so there, there it is you guys. And we would love to hear your feedback. Um, if you've read the book, if you have any thoughts on the book versus the movie, please feel free to reach out to us. We've been getting a lot of fan mail lately. I'm here for it. I'm excited. And I'm so excited for our favorite time of year. I'm so excited to finally do justice to one of your all time favorites. Check. It makes me very happy. It's always a very nerve wracking thing to like, have somebody who's like opinion matters to you, who means something to you to be like, here's my all-time Pazuzu? favorite thing. <laughs> yes, Pazuzu. Here's my all-time favorite thing. I want you to experience it because there's always the chance of, I mean, look what happened with Return to Oz. You know, you you poo-pooed Return to Oz and scary. There was scary. there was some there was some, you know. There was friction there. There, there was friction. friction. There was we had I put to, up yeah. I put up some walls. And I don't blame you, but looking back, I was also a douche. I was a judgy douche. So I'll tell you one thing I'll never apologize for, Garbage Pail Kids. That's, I will die on that (laughs) I will end our friendship over that shit. (laughs) No, in all honesty, it it is, it's, you know, like I said, like you, when you love something a lot and you're like, here, read this book for the first time, you know, it's like you have your fingers crossed. Like, I don't want you to hate something that I love, but of course, you know, it's art, it's subjective. I get it, I can, but it, it it thrills me that like we got a like even the fact that like we got above a two or a three star makes me happy. I can never hate something you love unless it's Garbage Pail Kids or if you told me you loved the second movie, then we would be done forever. <laughs> we would absolutely be done. <laughs> but you know what? If I can if I can live through a 24 movies for you. That's right. Then- oh, the, girlfriend, the winter of your discontent is coming because my birthday is right around the corner and you're doing A24 right, girl. I'll tell you what, there's a new <laughs> A24 movie coming out that I'm definitely going to watch. There's a new Nick Cage movie. <gasps> Nick Cage is in A24? Now that is mind-blowing to I'm me. I'm almost positive, but it's like, a, it, like I want to say it's like kind of... I can't believe they were like, sure, we'll put you in one of these. Nick, give it your best. It's called Dream Scenario. And it's an A24 movie. Ooh, Hapless family man Paul Matthews finds his life turned upside down when millions of strangers suddenly start seeing him in their dreams. What? When his nightmare appearances take a nightmarish turn, Paul is forced to navigate his newfound stardom. Oh, that's yeah. we have to look for that. I'm going to make you watch so many slow birds. It's not even funny. I might give you a little treat like bodies, 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 just to like help you palate the whole the whole month. But just you wait, girlfriend. Happy <laughs> birthday. <laughs> it's emo. It's emo birthday month for me. I can't <laughs> wait. Um, all right, guys. Thank you so much for checking us out. As always, uh, make sure you follow along on all the socials. We'll hopefully we'll make you chuggle every now and again. And uh, yeah, you know, thanks for coming out. Yeah, Pazuzu, Pazuzu loves you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Chris McNeil loves you. So there you go. That's right. Oh, I love that. Oh, Demi loves you. Demi, go on, Demi. Demi loves you. Mama Karis loves you. Mama Karis does love you. Go Goodbye, Demi. Goodbye, Demi. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 